Good morning, everybody. Well, let me officially now uh, wish you a happy new year. We were there the night before, last morning before. Hope this one is prosperous and uh, holy one of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's begin now by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we're here today because of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the work you did through him on the cross to die for our sins and the sins of the whole world. And we know that you, he was buried and then you raised him from the dead on the third day so that whoever simply believes in your son, Jesus Christ, will never perish but has eternal life. It's a gift beyond imagining, Father, and the simplicity of it all. We thank you so much for that. We thank you, Father, that you've provided your word in, in writing in the Bible. We thank you that you've gathered us together as fellow members of the body this morning. We thank you that you've gifted us with all that's necessary to be a community of love and growth. We ask this morning for the Holy Spirit to guide us as we continue to study in the Gospel of John and also to guide us as members of one of another in caring for one another and serving one another. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand at this time and we will sing our morning song. Oh, yeah. Hmm. New Year came upon us quickly. Didn't really realize it was the Lord's Supper until just now. We'll forgive him. I'm still writing 2023 on my check, so, you know. By the way, if you notice me having a hard time clapping, it's only because this, I used to sing this song in another church, and it was like a faster time, right? So I'm like having a hard time slowing down. But Yeah, right. All right, let's begin this morning. Um, first things first. Well, first thing, I want to welcome Carol and let people who are online this morning know that she's sauntered right in there this morning, um, and she's looking great, so we're glad. We're praying for you, and we're glad to see you. Glad to be back. Also, to everybody, I want to encourage you to invite new people to our church. We have a few seats still that we are looking to fill. We have our own place. We got plenty of room. And there, people need to hear the message of the gospel. And that's what we have here. They also need to know the truth about our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we do here. So please, you know, go out of your way and invite somebody along all right, or meet you here. Okay, that is how churches grow. You know, these days people want to think about marketing, right? Well, the, what we actually have is sales, meaning it's one-on-one. That's how the best way to grow a church, okay? So I'm going to plant that seed. I'm going to keep mentioning that bug yet because I think it's important. All right, let's begin this morning. We are in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 23 to 33. Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 23 to 33. And our title this morning comes from the very last verse of this section, which is, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. That's our Lord and Jesus Christ's final statement to his disciples in his upper room before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, as we've seen, they're really not in the upper room anymore. We call this the upper room discourse, but 
after chapter 14, they, start, they got up and they start moving through Jerusalem, headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. So four, chapters 15 and 16 are while they're walking. And then chapter 17, Jesus sets himself by the side and has an amazing prayer with his father. And we'll be getting to that real, real soon. John 16, 23. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Just a note here. This is the third time we've seen basically the same statement in the upper room discourse. If you, here, notice he, he puts it in a particular way, though. If you ask the Father for anything, in my name, he will give it to you. That's really the first time we see that direct description of what prayer is now, which is that we pray to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. By the way, there he's referring to the, him speaking of the relationship between him and the disciples as their vine and the branches. Most recently, he talked about the woman who's in the pain of childbirth after she gives birth. She no longer remembers the pain for the joy of the child. So he's been speaking in figurative language or what we might call parables, although they're, they're small. They're abbreviated parables relative to the ones that we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Verse 28 key, key verse. We're going to focus on this one this morning, one of a couple. I came forth from the Father, and I have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. By the way, as we've seen so often in the Gospel of John, it's very clear that there's three persons in one Godhead. Right? We've seen already lots of information that Jesus has given his disciples and us about the Holy Spirit. And that, that I, the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the Holy Spirit as coming forth from the Father and the Son is totally new in the Gospel of John. It gets developed, of course, into the, into the teachings of what the implications of that are as you move into the epistles, right? But here in John, you have this tremendous presentation of the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we see it again here. See, the Father sent the Son. He's in the world. Right? And he's in the world for his teaching ministry and to die and to be raised from the dead. Then he goes back to the Father. He will, in terms of the, where we are now. He'll go back to the Father. But then we also know that when he's seated at his Father's right hand in glory, then he sends the Holy Spirit. So there are all three members of the Trinity here involved in the saving work involved in us being reconciled to the Father. Our prayer life, remember, the prayer life involves all three members of the Trinity, 
Right? We pray to the Father in the name, according to the merits, according to the thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit, remember, is in our hearts and he's helping us to pray. He's even speaking on our behalf when we're struggling with what we even should say. And, of course, all prayer is directed to God the Father. So, again, verse 20, verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father, and I have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now, there's a little humor here in verse 29. The Lord, the Holy Spirit isn't above inspiring some things that are interestingly funny. Because here, he, he is saying the same thing that he said before. He has talked about the Father. He has talked about the fact that the Father sent him into the world. He's talked about the fact that he's going to be lifted up and he's going to leave them. But now they say, oh, you're speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now, why would they say that? Because they're finally waking up after having this repeated time and time again. And we're going to see in verse 31 that he's going to kind of rib him a little more. But in any event, his disciples said, Lo, you are speaking plainly now and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you because by this we believe that you came from God. This is a great statement of faith here on behalf of the part of the apostles, the disciples. And Jesus knows where their hearts are at. And he knows that this is sincere. But as we're going to see, he also knows what's going to happen real soon. And that faith will be tested. And unfortunately, they're going to fail that test. But for now, this is a great statement of what they believe and come to know through the ministry of of Jesus Christ, seeing his miracles, seeing his teaching, seeing who he says he is. Again, verse 29, his disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. See, you get to the point where, and it's the same for us as it was for them, you get to the point where it really does dawn on you that, you know what, my God and Father knows everything. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about the history of the human race from the time he created and then the fall and now the time that he's going to go back. God the Father knows everything. He knows our failures. He knows our weaknesses. And therefore, we, we, we start to get to the point where we stop questioning him. Now, don't feel bad. You're going to do that because you're a flesh just like I am. And the flesh loves to question God, if you haven't, if you haven't figured that out already. <laughs> the fle- and just remember, you are of the flesh still, or the flesh is in you, rather. And so you're going to have these things pop up in your head. So just relax about that because God knows that stuff. But at the same time, see, see, I look at it this way. We have the flesh and it erupts from time to time, right? And then, then the Lord settles us, right? Through his word, by the way, through understanding that nothing good dwells in my flesh anyway. But I can't have, I can't have mastery over how I think and what I do. 
And so I can, I can, as the Bible says, I can take that thought, that questioning God, let's say, captive to the obedience of Christ, get into a humble spot, wake up and realize, you know what? This is a tremendous spiritual life. And by the way, you can see progress over time if you just set, sit, set back and relax and just consider. And then, of course, the flesh is going to erupt again and so forth. But, but more and more, we get, we, we, the idea anyway is that we get settled in our souls, that the peace of God that surpasses understanding becomes more and more evident in how we approach our lives and how we approach the Lord, how we approach prayer. We go there with confidence, not because our prayer is so great, but because he's so great. And so, so slowly but surely, as we continue in God's word, as we continue to apply God's word to our lives, we get to a place where we are no longer questioning him very much. And it's a terrific place to be. Now, we know that you know all things, verse 30, and have no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? I mean, remember, you got you to go back and look at like passages and prior chapters. That's why I've encouraged you. Again and again, read the Gospel of John. Read it because it's, it's when you see the, how the story unfolds that you really start to understand what this Gospel is all about. But like all the way back in, not too long ago, rather, the same night, and he had Philip come up and question him, right? And Thomas would question him about these very things, about the fact that he and the Father were one. So it's kind of, again, it's kind of a little funny that they're saying, now we know, you know, all things. Ah, now we believe you come from God. Well, they should have believed he came from God back in chapter 2 when he, when he uh, said he, that he would rebuild the temple in three days or when he, when he was at the wedding feast in Cana and he turned the water into wine. They've had time after, and he said over and over and over again that he's God in the flesh and the Messiah. So it's a little humorous, interesting, sad that he says, oh, so now you believe. But then it's even more sad in verse 32. Again, he, he, he acknowledges that they believe in that, him in, in this way now, where he came from, who he is. But then verse 32. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come. By the way, the hour has now arrived. This is the hour when Jesus is going to begin his, what we call his passion. When he's going to, they're almost here to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to have that agony, where he's even going to turn to the Father and say, if it be possible, please take this cup from me. And he's suffering so much then that he, the Bible actually says that he's sweating blood. Okay, so, so when he says the hour has already come, that's what he's talking about. And then notice what accompanies that. Now, what, what Jesus perhaps in his humanity would have hoped at this point, what perhaps if we were reading this and thought that this was a great... Um, novel where everything's coming together and finally the friends are going to rally around their leader, well, you'd be sorely mistaken because that's not at all what happens. When he needs them the most is when they abandon him. Verse 32, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home. In other words, to run away and to leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. And we're going to see in chapter 17 that, that the Father and he will have this amazing communion. The prayer of Jesus through his Father, the Son of God and the, and the God the Father. 
that I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you. He's looking back, by the way, from what we've learned, what he said from chapter 13 all the way up to now, the end of chapter 16. All these things I've spoken to you. Spoken to you, I told you that I was going to be betrayed. Spoken to you, I told you that I came from the Father. I told you that, that you can, after I leave, you're going to be able to do even greater works than I did. I told you that I am the vine and you are the branches. I told you, I told you about the Holy Spirit coming to be your mentor and helper and teacher. I told you that the world will hate you. I've told you that, that for a little while you will be in pain. And then a little while after that, you will rejoice. I've told you all these things. And these things I've spoken to you, he says in verse 33, so that in me, notice this, in me, you may have peace. You may have peace. That's a great gift and also something to strive for, as we've already seen, to understand that we can be at a place of rest. In me, where do we, where do we have that peace? In Christ, right. And it would be nice if that was the end of the story, wouldn't it? Yeah, he says, I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Over and out, give the credits, but no. No. Remember now, there's a tension in the upper room, right? In a sense, between good and evil. Right? We've seen it again and again and again. Judas being evil. And Jesus talking about the fact, well, John saying Jesus loved them all, including Judas, to the end. We saw about the Holy Spirit coming, and he's going to teach us and reveal to us these things, but at the same time, he's going to have to deal with the world, where he's going to have to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. There's that, that two dimensions, as it were, of what it means to have, be living in this, on this world, in this world and on this planet. And we see it again. Verse 33, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In what? The world, you have tribulation. And my friends, that's where we are. We are both in Christ and in the world. And he's saying, you better get used to this. I've tried to prepare you as much as you possibly can. But you need to know where to turn to for peace and rest and love and and, and power. Don't turn to the world because all that's there is hatred of you. and, And ultimately, the things of the world lead to death. And that's what, that's what, in a large respect, that's what we're working out as members of the body of Christ, right? It's to understand that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And that as long as we're here, we're going to face things in this world that we don't like very much. And, and we think about persecution, but you also got to make sure you understand temptation because that's the other side of that coin. In other words, you have all these things that a defeated foe, really, The world has been defeated. It's passing away. We've died to sin. And Jesus Christ took sin in his body and dealt with sin at the cross. Dealt with sin. And and the Holy Spirit mentors us and teaches us now and, and fights the flesh. And then we know that he's also defeated Satan himself at the cross. So that's the good news. And the fact is that we can apply that anytime we want to in our hearts, in our heads. And ultimately, we're going to have the victory. No matter what you go through in this life, whether it's temptation, whether it's persecution, disappointment, sadness, grief, whatever those things are, a day is going to come when you will no longer be 
in ever experiencing that again. And instead, you will, receive, you will be in a place of joy and peace and happiness forever. And, and, but yet at the same time, this is really the proving ground, as it were, the power of God, right? You don't, you don't see the power of something until there's resistance. That's when you really see the power. You can see a football player working out. Wow, look at those muscles. He must be powerful. But you don't really know how powerful he is until he gets up against that opponent and knocks him down. And that's the same thing here. We won't understand. I like the way I think it was Corey Ten Boom put it. We won't understand that, that the Father, that God is all we need until God is all we have. I like that. Because really, that tells us, that's really, that's really what we need to come up, come to know. Those are the things we need to come to know because they're not natural. They're, the word of God is the one that keeps teaching us, keeps teaching us as we come back to it again and again and again. Again, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In me, peace. In the world, tribulation. However, take courage. Why? I have overcome the world. And that's the last, that is the last statement. And he does end, as it were, on a high note. And it is a hopeful, joyful place where he ends up. But he's wide-eyed, and we ought to be too, about the realities of this world. Okay. So where are we now? Well, we saw last week that Jesus has, has fortified, strengthened, prepared his disciples for what's about to happen in a couple of hours. And that for that little while, when he is on the cross and dies and is buried, and they don't see him anymore, it's going to be a horrible suffering time. And then, but he said, a little while after that, you will see me again. That's the resurrection. So he's preparing him, them for that. But now he's returning to a subject that he's talked about many times, and that is the Father. And in particular, his going back to the Father. He's, he's hopefully settled them for the time being, he prepared them. And now he's going to step back one more time, talk about the big picture, the fact that he came from God, the fact that he is here on the world, and the fact that he's going back. But again, his going back to the Father is a subject that he has mentioned often in the Gospel of John. And I'd like you to turn now to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. John 14, verses 27 and 28. And this also shows that disciples have already heard this. And it's only when they said, now we believe. You know, they, they speak not because they heard it for the first time, but they heard it for the tenth time. It's a good lesson, by the way. We don't always believe things the first time. As a matter of fact, the way our spiritual life works is that we hear something, we're not at all sure. You know, there's a point, there's a time when there's a kind of a battle between believing that and not. And, and if you just think that the Christian way of life is a, is a swim through victory after victory and believe in all things and everything, that is, you're, that is not. The Christian life is a life of conflict out there and in here. Because in here, we have the flesh that's still chugging against the spirit in any event. Notice again, verse 27 of John 14. Peace, there it is, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. In other words, 
have courage. You have heard that I said to you, here it is, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, in our passage this morning, we have 11 verses, okay, from verses 23 to 33. And you're going to say, wait a minute, 33 minus 23 is 10, Pastor John. Yeah, I know, but you have to count the first one. A little math lesson, right? 23 and then 10 more. Anyway, okay, so the middle verse, go back to John chapter 16. You'll see what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying, hopefully, if I explain it correctly. John 16, 23. Okay. Now, now, we have 11 verses here from 23 to 33. This is the last discourse, the last speech, the last group of things that Jesus Christ is telling his disciples, his apostles. And then, and then we have in verse 23, In that day you will not question me. In verse 24, Ask and you shall receive. In verse 25, An hour is coming when he'll tell them plainly of the Father. In verse 26, He's saying that you go directly to the Father. No longer have to request things through me. Verse 27, the Father loves you because you've loved me and believed who I am. Verse 28, though, is the exact middle of these last 11 verses. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because the middle is where there were five before and five after. And we've just been through five. I told you you'd have a little math this morning. Yeah. Verse 20, so verse, but here's the thing. I want you to focus now simply on verse 28. I, I came forth from the Father. Now, we're going to go through this, but I just want you to take a moment and just, just say, okay, what does he mean by that? What does he mean that he came forth from the Father? What was that like? When did it happen? We'll see all that. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Well, when did he come into the world? Why did he come into the world? We'll see that. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Came forth from the Father. I've come into this world. I'm leaving this world and going to the Father. And you see, that really is the, that's the whole story of the Jesus Christ is our Savior, right? Because why did he come? I mean, he was perfectly fine in and of himself up there in heaven. He was God the Son from all of eternity. He had, he had fellowship face to face, as it were. He and the Father and the Spirit. And he'd already created all the things in the earth and created them exactly the way he wanted them to be. And, and then that, that world fell and turned against him and became his enemy. I don't know about you or I, the last thing I would want to do when I've done everything to somebody and they turn viciously against me, the last thing I would want to do would be to go to them. <laughs> but that's exactly what he did. God, God's son came down and, and for us and for his father. And then, he, 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 then, then we have most of the Gospel of John, if you think about it, is what, is what happened once he came, right? 
once he came, he was born, and then he, he uh, we know in the other gospel a little bit about his life before he had his ministry. Here in the gospel of John, we have his ministry, particularly to the Jews in Jerusalem, not completely. Then we have him here preparing his disciples for when he's going to leave, and he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to die for the sins, he's going to accomplish our redemption. Then he's going to be raised from the dead. Everyone now has the evidence, perfect evidence, that he's who he says he is. And then he's going to go back. So again, verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. This is not only the central verse, by the way, of our final passage. It's also an executive summary of the whole Gospel of John. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. This statement that he makes here covers the history of Christ, if I could put it that way. The history of Christ. From eternity past, in the beginning was the word, to his ascension and session in heaven. He came down into the, into the enemy's turf. He died for his enemy. He was raised from the dead. Now he's going back to the Father. And like he said to his apostles, if you knew, if you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going back to the Father. See, the joy that we are to have isn't only because, because of the fact that we see that for us what his death and resurrection means. But our joy should also be that, you know what? Jesus is back with his Father. Want to know why? Well, selfishly, someday we will be with him too. As a matter of fact, spiritually, we already are. And that's joyful. It really is. Not only that, but he sent the Spirit down. And so that's how, you know, that's how Jesus said, I I leave you my peace. You'll have a joy that will never leave you. And then he leaves, but he gives the Spirit. And he said, it's to your advantage now that I'm in heaven and the Spirit is with you. That's why why Paul says that we can rejoice always. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Holy Spirit to show us how we do that in the midst of all the suffering and pain of this world. So again, this is an executive summary of the whole Gospel of John. covers the history of Christ, if I could put it that way, from eternity past all the way to his ascension and session. In the eternity past, God was with God's Son. God the Father and God the Son were together. And then he came down. Look at now John chapter 1. If we're, going to, if, if, we're going to, if we're going to accept the fact that the passage that we just read in chapter 16, verse 20, 28, is in fact a summary of the gospel of John, there's no better place to begin to see that than what? The very first verse of the, cha- of the gospel of John. So we're going to say, okay, so let's go to the very first verse and see what that talks about and of course i hope by now if you've been with us you you could memorize you could one of the great things would be for for every one of us to just go to the just the first 18 verses of the gospel of john okay and memorize it just not that you need to memorize scripture because the most important thing is that you hear it and believe it and it's in your heart and then the holy spirit uses it Okay, that's the most important thing. But at the same time, we're training our mind, a renewing of our mind. And it's helpful sometimes to exercise the mind 
and the important stuff. In any event, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, starting from the very beginning, and as we saw when we studied this very first verse, what that means is in the beginning, before there was a beginning here, before the creation of everything, in that beginning, or eternity in the past. There's an eternity in the past that's just as difficult to understand, by the way, as the eternity in the future, because we're limited in our thinking. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's, of course, the Son of God, right? The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In other words, before he came into the world, he was with God, And that's, of course, what our passage is saying this morning. I came forth from the Father. That's where I was. He was with God. But what happened? He was with God, and he was God. In other words, this Jesus, who is now on earth, who's about to go to the cross, when before the earth was created, before the foundation of the world, he was with God, and he was God. And that's an amazing place to start, isn't it? Kind of lifts us up, lifts us out of the muck and the mire and the problems and difficulties and say this one that we worship was with God and was God from the very beginning before the creation of what we see in front of us or what we see when we look up into the sky. He was God. But then, what happened? Well, in our passage, he tells us in verse 20, he left the Father and he came into the world. And we see that, just go forward to verses 9, 10, 11, and 14 now. Still in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. There was the true light. That's Jesus Christ again, the Word of God. Which, notice, coming into the world. He left the Father and came into the world. And what happens? He enlightens every man. He came to reveal the light of the truth of the gospel, right, of who he is. He's the light of the world. He Notice he was in the world, and the world was made through him. And then, right off the bat, as soon as we talk about the world, as soon as the Holy Spirit does, we get, we get a clear indication that there's a problem in the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Imagine that. You're create, you created... He created us in his own image and likeness so that we would have intimate fellowship and knowledge. And then when he came, the world didn't even know him, didn't recognize him. And then he came to his own, the Jewish people who had the Old Testament scriptures. And those who were were his own did not receive him. And then drop down to verse 14, when we want to ask how, what exactly happened for him to leave the Father and come into the world. What was the moment that that happened? Verse 14. And the Word became flesh. God from eternity past, Son of God, became human. Never stopped being the Word, never stopped being God, but became human. He became flesh and dwelt among us down here. He came from heaven, dwelt among us. We saw, the apostles saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was with the Father. He left heaven, came down here. Why did he come here? Very simple. The Father sent his Son. That's the main reason he came, by the way. 
He came, to, he did the, he's doing the will of the Father. He's coming here to, 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 to show everybody that his Father's righteous and just. He's going to die first and foremost for the, for the cause of his Father. Everything he did, he did. When he, whatever he said, he said, the words I speak are the words the Father gives me. The works that I do are the works that he's ordained me to do. The death that I die will first and foremost be for his sake. Father sent his son in the world to save the world from sin. Now go to chapter 3 now as we're, as we're taking a brief walk through the Gospel of John this morning. John 3.16. So why did the word become flesh? Why did God the Son in heaven with his Father come down to earth, take the form of a slave, Philippians says, a human being, For God so loved the world, that's why, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, God's son, Jesus Christ, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So he's going to give his life. He's going to come down and give his life for those who ought to perish, because the wages of sin is death, will not, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I've said this many times. That's God's heartbeat. That's why it's ridiculous to say that God chose some and didn't choose others. I mean, he says, I sent, God sent the Son into the world not to judge the world, but that the whole world, every human being, might be saved through Christ. And he came, therefore, to bring life back to the human race, true life, eternal life. That's why he left the Father and came down to the world and became man, so that he could bring the real life back, as it were. Now they, they had a form of life. You know, we were in the Garden of Eden, I say we, the human race, the first two. Right? We had a, they had a, a, a kind of life, but they never had this, by the way. Why? Because if they did, they, would never have, they never would have sinned or they never would have died, right? So we know that this is a better life even than he started with. And isn't that how God works? You know, he, go, we, he, he takes something that's the lowest of the low, and he's not content with just bringing them back to where they were. He's going to bring them even higher up by simple faith. That's amazing to me. I never get over that. He's the living bread that came out of heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, believes in Christ, he lives forever. And that gets us to where we're headed a little while this morning, by the way, to the Lord's Supper. See, see, you really can, if you, if, you, if you just allow it to, take pretty much any passage in the Word of God and have it speak to you with, with, with respect to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is an example. He's the living bread that came out of heaven. Anyone eats his, that bread, his flesh, meaning believing that he died for us, will be saved and live forever. And now we're back. So now, that's the, now we're going to catch up to where we are. Okay, he came down. We, he, he took the form of a man. He came to save us. He came to give us life. And soon, in a little while, a few days, actually about 40 40, 43, if you want to be. And soon he will leave the world again. He accomplished his mission. He's leaving the world, going back to the Father. I came forth from the Father. That's our, that's our main middle passage this morning. 
came forth from the Father from eternity past. I've come into the world, God in the flesh. I'm leaving the world again because I'm soon going to accomplish my mission. And I'm going back to my dad, the Father. For those of you that like pictures, um, here's a picture. I mean, it's pretty, pretty simple. I don't have the, see, do I have the laser anymore in any form or way or, no? Oh, okay, so we won't worry about it. All right, so you have to actually concentrate a little bit. Like that, so that line coming down, of course, he was with God from eternity past, and he was born of a woman. Then he lived his life, and he preached, and he taught, and performed miracles. Then he goes to the cross in death. Goes, he's buried. This was all what he had to do in order to save us, right? And then he was raised from the dead. And then a little while after that, he goes back to be with his father, and there he is today, by the way. He's going to, that down arrow, what do you think that was? Huh? No, oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm now at seven. So he's already buried. Yes. Verse seven is when he's seated, he sends the Holy Spirit. I'm a pictures guy. And then you're going to come back. Now we know this diagram, I don't know if, who did this, but he, uh, I didn't. Because they misspelled intercession for one thing. But uh, we know he's going to meet us in the clouds first, right? Part of the mystery, right? And he's, oh, right. That means he's seated in glory at the right hand of his father. Yeah, good question. Yeah, session. Yeah. Yep. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a meeting with your psychiatrist, maybe. A, in case you were wondering. But he is a great psychiatrist, if you want to know. Jesus Christ is the best, but in any event. Okay, so he came forth from the Father. He's coming to the world. He's leaving the world, going again to the Father. And now here we are. In a little while, in a few hours, he's going to die on the cross as the Savior of the world. Then, a few days, on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead by his Father. Then, from that moment on, as we saw last week, the disciples will have a joy that will never end. And so do we. You may say, but I I don't feel that way. There's times when I feel broken. There's times when I'm discouraged. There's times when the last thing that I can even come to terms with and touch is joy. I'm full of sadness. Remember I said earlier today that our life is a series of what the world and the flesh wants us to concentrate on, and then what we have in Christ. The fact is that you can go to what we have in Christ anytime you want to. Otherwise, why would, why would Paul say rejoice in the Lord? What? Always. Always. And all you have to do is, is get your mind off the current problem, the, the, the pain, whatever it is, and go back to this story. Go back to the fact, yeah, but, but Jesus Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is my Savior. He is risen. I have eternal life. I'm an adopted child of God. No matter what happens down here, he's going to see me through. And I know that all the way around, from now until I go back to, 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 to see him again, I know that all things are working together for good. I know that he has my back. He'll never leave me alone. I, I, am, I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I know who I am, and I know those things will last forever. So momentary light affliction, not only can I get to this place mentally because of the word of God, 
But I also know that the very suffering I'm going through is producing for me a weight of glory. That's how you get back to the joy, by the way. Let's just rehearse once again who you are, what God did, what his promises are, and you'll get back there. Commercial, 50 things. How many times have I said that? All right, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have looked at that in the last week? You don't have to say it. How many of you have it? How many of you know that it's on the first page of our website? Why do I say that? Because I want to get credit for something? No, I don't get credit for anything. I stole all that stuff. No, the reason is, is because you need that. You need to, you need, well, that's the whole, yeah, that's the whole thing. That's why, you know, when it says the renewing of the mind, that's ongoing. You know, it's ongoing. Yeah, we have the word in our hearts, hopefully. Yeah, we have the Holy Spirit. But we're also told to renew the mind, to listen to the word of God again and again, remind us, remind us, remind us. So, now then, we got the story. He dies. He's raised. We have joy forever if you go to it. Then 40 days later, he ascends into heaven, and he's seated at the Father's right hand. There it is. All right, there's the picture again. Seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is now as our, as our intercessor. Right? He's there. And then what's going to happen? We just talked about it. When he's up there, when, now I'm talking when because I'm talking from the point of view of that night. But he's there now. He is glorified. We're already up there with him, in the book of Ephesians says. He says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, the lowest of the low. He made us alive. And he raised us with Christ. And he has seated us in the heavenly fathers in Christ with God. So the only place that matters in the eyes of God, we're already up there. Those whom he justified, he glorified. So when he's glorified, new age. The new, the new age is not the new age, by the way. The new age is the age of the indwelling spirit. And that's where we are, gang. We are in the age of the indwelling spirit. The, in, that, the age, the, 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 the church age. A new creation. That's where we are. Look at um, John sixteen seven. The age of the indwelling spirit. John sixteen seven. But I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I came forth from the Father, Jesus said. I've come down into the world. You've seen me, seen my glory. I'm going to go away for a little while. I'm going to die. You're going to see me in a little while after that when I'm raised from the dead. Then I'm going to leave the world again, and I'm going to the Father. And Jesus is going to leave this world. He has left this world. But his disciples remain in the world. And so are we. We're here in the world now. Look at John chapter 17, verse 15. John 17, next chapter. 
Jesus is alone with the Father. By the way, um, this ought to be the Lord's Prayer that we really focus on. I know there's the, the, God, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, okay? But this is the, really the Lord's Prayer for the church. Just, this is it. John 17, 15 to 19. Talking to the Father now. I, but the, what a privilege, isn't it, that the Lord saw fit to actually record his prayer with the Father for us? Verse 15, I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. They're in it, but they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them what? In the truth. What's going to keep us from the evil one's influence? The truth. Your word is truth. That's why the armor of God is all about the truth, isn't it? The helmet of the knowledge is salvation, right? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the belt of truth. Truth. And truth is just not an abstraction. Truth is in the word of God. Truth is what you need to turn to when you're under pressure in order to have that protection. And then he says, verse 18, again, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself. I'll die on the cross, separate myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Disciples remain. Okay, let's go back now. I just never know. You know, uh, I've gotten to the point um, now where I'll prepare a message and I'll know from experience that I won't, it won't be just reading it anymore. <laughs> I used to think I used to be so prepared that I said, I'm going to read every word here and it's perfect. I got it perfect. I worked so hard on it. And then, the, then God's shaking his head and the Holy Spirit's like, are you kidding me? What I'm going to do is you, you can prepare what you want, but when, but when you're up there, then I'm going to open things up while you preach. And then you're going to be sometimes when you're just going to talk about those things, John. And that's really what the people need. Okay. And then you go back to your notes. And then you can sweat it out and then come back. And it'll happen again. By the way, that's relaxing to me. Okay. I used to be a wreck when I got behind the pulpit. I'm relaxed now. I like that. Why? Because he's doing it more, you know. Any of that. Because what I'm telling you is I'm not going to get anywhere near where I prepared this morning. That's good news for me. I want to know why. Because I pretty much have a lot for next week before I even leave today. So you're getting into the real secrets. Past the secrets. All right. John 16, 23. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Notice that expression, in that day. In that day, you will not question me about anything. That sounds like a great day, doesn't it? You get to the point we talked about this morning. When when I don't have to question God about anything anymore, right, because he's given me all the answers I need, right? He's going to give me his word. And what else has he given me? The Holy Spirit. And so to kind of jump to the end a little bit here, in that day, means, well, it means this. It means that the day when he is seated at the right hand of the Father, from that day forward, and he sends the Spirit for the first time. We don't have time this morning to go to the book of Acts. We'll come back to that. 
But when they send the Spirit, that Spirit will be in them forever. The Spirit is in us forever. In that day, God can provide us, if we choose to receive it and go to where the answers are, everything that we need to know. We'll have no questions. So quite simply, that day, and we're in that day. Don't, the, by the way, the word day very often doesn't mean 24 hours in the Bible. Okay, so sometimes it does. When it's narrating, you know, like in three days, he's going to be raised from the dead. Yeah, that's a day. But when he's talking about these kind of things, particularly looking to the future, in that day can be, like he said, a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. Right? And so in that day is not a day. He's not just saying for, think about it, right? He's not saying for one day, you won't be, you won't be questioning me about anything. Does that make any sense? No, it means from point in time all the way forward. That's your situation. The Holy Spirit comes. That's the beginning of, quote, in that day. But that's going to continue. It's not just 24 hours. It's the, by the way, it's the whole church age. That day refers to the age of the indwelling spirit. We are in that day. That day is the entire church age. That's what he's talking about. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Now, yes, he's talking to his disciples because they're going to be around for the kickoff. Food, sports, what was the other one? The, the kickoff, right? Why? Because the Pentecost is going to happen. They're going to be the first ones that are going to have the Spirit descend on them and remain with them, in them. But in that day continues. The whole church age, us, in that day, we're in that day. That means, what does that mean in verse 23 further? I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Now that, now that we're in the church, we, we have Paul tell us, since he's now died for us, when we were his enemy, doesn't it stand to reason that he will never deny us any good thing? Of course. So not, oh, it's not, he's not a cash register, though. Right? He's not, he's not like a, a slot that you pull and you get money. Okay, it's not like, hey, just not name it and claim it. It's not at all what he's talking about. You always got to focus what? If you ask the Father for anything, what are the next three words? In my name. What is that? According to who Jesus is. According to who Jesus has revealed the Father's will through. According to that. You know, one of the prayers that's irresistible is when we pray for others, by the way. Why? Because we could be pretty sure that's according to the thinking of Jesus Christ. You know, we're saying, boy, I hope the, I really hope today the Dolphins beat the Bills. I'm not really sure that's according to the will of God and the thinking of Jesus Christ. But if I say, I, I have a friend who is in great pain right now, and I want you to comfort that some way, and I don't know the way, right? That, that prayer is a much higher chance of being answered, doesn't it? Because it's for others, and it's leaving it open to the Lord in any event. We're going to have to close now. That day, the indwelling spirit, that's the age we're in now. Um, if you want to read ahead, you can, not now, because we're done. We've got to have the Lord's Supper now. But in Acts 1, 3 to 9, okay, that's the actual historical record of him going back to the Father. Very exciting. Okay, so we'll, you can check that out. We'll likely come back to that next week and kind of walk through the rest of this. Um, 
But that's the next step is to read that. Because remember, we're looking at, quote, the, the history, if I could put it that way, of Christ, right? From the time he was in heaven before time began, when he came down to earth, born of a woman, when he lived that life and died that death and was raised to the resurrection life, and he went back to the Father. And we're in the age of the indwelling spirit. But historically now, we have a record. This is a great thing about the word of God, by the way. It's got everything. It's got what actually happened historically. Okay, reliable because God's revealing it to us. And it's, of course, so many other things, too. Acts 1, Acts is a history book. You can check out verses 3 to 9, chapter 1, and you can see the actual event and when Christ returned to the Father. But now we're going to have to close in prayer and prepare for the Lord's Supper. So let's do that now. Father, we just, um, we just want to thank you again for, us, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, for sending him. We thank you, Father, that you've also revealed these things that you didn't have to reveal, but you did it for our benefit, for our comfort, for, for, our, for our ability to praise you and thank you every day. And so, Father, this morning, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask that we would once again just concentrate on the death of your Son and how it changed everything for us, for the world, for eternity, for the angels, for you. And help us to just once again have the Holy Spirit knit into the fabric of our understanding of the death of Christ, an additional element now that we can just marvel at and that we can use in the future when we need to rely on you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's prepare for the Lord's Supper right now. It's pretty easy. Easy for you. I have a hard time with this. You should have a little cup in a, with, the, with, a, with a wafer. And here it is. I feel your pain. I mean, my problem is I have to do it standing up. (laughs) Thanks, Jack.
Last, the very last thing that the Lord says to his disciples, his apostles, is that in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Why? Because I have overcome the world. What a great place for us to spring into the Lord's Supper from. The idea that Christ has overcome the world. And he's overcome the ruler of this world. In Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15, we read this. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. God the Father made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's part of what his death is all about, by the way. He died once as the perfect sacrifice to God for all of our sins, past, present, and future. For the very fact that we have sin in the flesh, all of that he took care of at the cross. It is finished. He forgave us all our transgressions. He's canceled out. Listen to these words. He canceled out at the cross now the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. You broke this law. You broke that law. I am holy. And you've you have insulted my holiness. I mean, that's where we were before Christ died at the cross. We had a certificate of debt. And it was decrees that was, were hostile. But God took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross of his son. That's another thing about the death of Christ. When he had disarmed, notice, here's the, here's the victory overcoming now. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ. There's the victory. There's the overcoming. Not only the world, but the ruler of this world. As a matter of fact, it's not too much to say that at the cross, Jesus Christ had the strategic victory over the forces of evil, all of them. Satan, the principalities and powers, the world system that's hostile to us, the flesh, our sins. He had victory over all the forces of evil. And when we believe in Christ, guess what? We share in that victory. We share in it as a gift. In John, he says in the letter of John, chapter 5, verse 4, whatever is born of God, whoever is born of God, overcomes the world, just like he did. Take courage, I have overcome the world. When you're born again, you overcome the world. And this is the victory for us that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith, yeah, that's the simplicity of it all. Christ did it, and we just believe it, and then we have the same victory. An amazing thing. And then he says again, he who overcomes the world is just simply the one who believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. When we believed in Christ, we were baptized into his death. That's another thing about the cross. When he died, we died. The, 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 the flesh, the old man, is crucified. And we died to sin. We died to sin. We died with Christ to the, what is called the elementary principles of the world. In other words, all the things about the world, how it operates. We died with Christ to all of that. It's a fact. Like Galatians 6.14 says, May it never be now that I should ever boast, except in one thing, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which 
The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, it's, it's, it's cut off from all of that forever. There was, a, there was a moment when all of that was cut off. We no longer had under the, under the bondage, right? And under the bondage of the God of this world, Satan. Under the bondage of the world and it's pressing upon us and overcoming us. Under the bondage of our flesh. All of that we had victory over because Christ did at the cross. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we simply bring into remembrance that great victory that Christ had on the cross. The victory over the forces of evil, the victory over the world, the victory over Satan, the victory over sin, the victory over death. All of that we bring into remembrance at the Lord's Supper. The bread of life, he gave his flesh for our lives. The cup, the covenant in his blood. So that when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, once again, that very act is proclaiming the Lord's death. Bring into remembrance, perhaps making somebody look at us as a body and say, why are they doing that? What's this all about? It's a proclamation that Jesus Christ died for their sins also. That he has conquered the forces of evil on behalf of whosoever will believe in him and reconciled us in his blood to God the Father forever. We proclaim that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We declare ourselves that Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome the flesh. He's overcome the devil. He's overcome death itself. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new relationship between God and and the children of God in my blood, my blood, my death. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death Until he comes. Until he comes. Come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the tremendous things that we are privileged to experience, to know, to participate in every time we open up your word. And especially when we gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper and we once again can can enrich our understanding remembering what he did and remembering what we've seen in the word of God about the great things he accomplished when he died for us and for the sin of the world. And now that we are going to about to finish this service this morning and go back into the world where we know we will have trouble and the world where if we're not careful, we can be overcome by things, but rather take courage. You know Jesus is overcome at all. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple of reminders this morning. Once again, um, I encourage you to invite new people. Okay. 
I don't often give assignments on Sunday. Sometimes I do on Thursday at the Bible study, which, by the way, we have every week at 6.30 here and on the line, online Skype. Also, I wanted to let you know that if you have questions, okay, about our series in particular, you can always email me. I'm thinking maybe I should, like, send the invitations. (laughs) Hey, email me. Okay, same thing with the prayer, the prayer request, by the way. Did you know that on our website, on the very first page, you can go on and click a button and put in there a prayer request. And won't you know, nine times out of ten, when we get together on Thursday, hopefully ten out of ten, we'll be praying for that very thing. And prayer is powerful. So participate. Okay. All right. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for all your gifts. Thank you again that everything revolves around the fact of your son and who he is and his death and resurrection. And that whoever simply believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior has eternal life. And Father, as we leave today, help us to be ready and willing and desirous of preaching the good news to people that we meet who who really need to know the truth about who they are and who Jesus is and, and that the Holy Spirit is already convicting them of sin and righteousness, yours and judgment, and that the cross and resurrection of Christ is the answer to all that, and we simply believe the truth about Christ. We thank you for all these gifts in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And with that, you're dismissed. And hopefully we'll see a lot of you one way or the other Thursday or, and or next Sunday.